the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. Still the southern accent? Still the southern accent? <laughs> still, I haven't done it before, have I? Oh, I thought you did it yesterday. <laughs> nope, I don't think so. Uh-huh. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. You can find us on Facebook if you like, the Common Good Radio Show, also 1160hope.com, and wherever it is that you get your podcast, we are there. And they can text us. They can, okay, tell us about that. 68683. <laughs> That's 68683. Type in CG, followed by the comment. Tell Ian what you think about the southern accent. Tell him whatever you want. That literally took me a second to realize what you were saying. I thought you said, Nick, a Texas. <laughs> I was like, who is Nick, a Texas? <laughs> Coming on later in the show. Hey, I just want to let you know real quick, Nick, a Texas is Traffic right. with Nick, a Texas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Mary DeBadges. Oh, Mary. We should get... <gasps> nope. Can we get Mary on the show? I don't think so. I don't think we're that big. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mary, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the show mm. just to tell us, just to read nursery rhymes or something. <laughs> All right. So here's the headline, and then I'm just going to leave the booth and let you talk about it. Uh, Alabama Public Television refuses to air Arthur episode with gay wedding. Thoughts? Yeah, this has been floating around. <laughs> Alabama Public Television chose not to air PBS's Arthur episode that included a same-sex marriage. In the episode, which aired nationwide May 13th, Arthur and his friends attend their beloved teacher, Mr. Rathburn's nuptials, to his partner. Uh, And so they go on to say, parents have trusted Alabama Public Television for more than 50 years to provide children's programs that entertain, educate, and inspire uh, more importantly, although we strongly encourage parents to watch television with their children, parents trust that their children can watch Alabama Public Television without their supervision. We also know that children who are younger than the target audience for Arthur also watch the program. And so I got to be honest, when I first read this, I was like, OK, there's part of me that gets this. OK, there's part of me that uh, gets that you <clears throat> uh, public television, you want to steer clear uh, you pro- they're probably trying to protect themselves from getting lots of phone calls. Like there's some self-preservation here. But my overall feel was like, man, can we not can we, can we try to major on the majors and not major on the minors all the time? And this feels weird. Like parents let, let the parents make the decisions. Watch watch television with their children. Um, it, it just it just struck me as as a really odd choice. Okay, so before I weigh in, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at three one two six six zero two five nine four. Again, that number. Three one two six six zero two five nine four. What do you think about the polling of this Arthur episode? Because it's a uh, it's sort of highlighting a gay wedding. I'm laughing already, so I imagine my uh, perspective here is kind of already clear, which you already sort of touched on. At, at most, maybe like a notice to all the families and all the parents. Hey, just to let you know, coming up. This is sort of the basic premise or theme. It's not. It's not like. 
Uh, I don't want to get myself in trouble here. Do it. I, it's not. It's not like it was pornographic or something. Like it's. Uh, hey, uh, this. It's addressing some issues that some of you will really not be prepared to have uh, conversations with your kids about yet. So, as a quick heads up, like honestly, like we would even do this as youth pastors, wouldn't we? If if we were coming up on a sex series, like mm-hmm. hey, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this uh, from a biblical perspective, but. We recognize, parents, maybe your kid's not yet at the place where you want them having this conversation. So we had a long runway just letting them know, hey, for these four weeks, this might not be uh, this might not be the time for your kid to be at youth group. We totally understand. And that's how we handled it. But this idea of just pulling it all together for whatever reasons, and I, I would, I mean, maybe somebody from, uh, from Alabama will give us a call and explain to us maybe a little more in depth why this call was made. I just, I think it sets a weird precedent, to be honest. I do, too. And it just... It again feels like the, uh, how did I put this? It feels like what we talked about yesterday of how much fear just kind of drives everything about us. Like I've got kids older than you do. So you're, you're much closer to the target audience of Arthur than my kids are. Uh, I'm not, not my kid. <laughs> you're still Bernard. I love Arthur, by the way. <laughs> Arthur's good. You're John, right? <laughs> by the way, can I warn you about one TV show? And it has nothing to do with the content. It has everything to do with the show itself that your kid, you cannot let them enjoy. Oh, boy. is a show called Caillou. Oh, literally dozens of people have warned me about Caillou, uh, by the way. I've, it's uh, Sorry that we just went off the rails no, we're, here. We're digging Daniel Tiger in our house right now. Caillou. Like, I want to be like, why is the kid bald? Where's his parents? Why is there like this <laughs> cloud above him at all times? It's the weirdest thing. But anyway, uh, you know, parents are... You know, yes, if, if you're uncomfortable by the show, maybe there's a little warning or not even a warning, just a note that says, hey, here's what's coming up on the show. I just the, the the target audience for Arthur and how young it is, those kids shouldn't be watching television by themselves anyway. Like because that's one of the arguments, right? Like, oh, yes. well, what if I'm not there to see the disclaimer at the beginning of the episode because I'm just having them watch it on their own, which, again, I, to- I totally get. I have a year and a half old. Sometimes we're like, hey, we're just going to put on wiggles and uh, <laughs> like try to have some peace and quiet for 20 minutes. But. I, I don't know. It, it it feels like it's overreaching at best. So you just can't pretend that this isn't the 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 way that our culture is going. So you can use this as a teaching opportunity. So either you turn your own television off, or use it as a teaching opportunity for your kids. It's just that you know, kind of this fear driven things of like this is the uh, the cultural thing we're going to pick and choose. Just it just feels. Where does it end, I guess, is where it goes. Like, I totally get it. I I actually get the other side of this. Like, it just feels like too much energy to constantly be fighting everything. (laughs) Right? Like, it feels... Apparently not. It just feels like it requires... Like, not everything has to be a fight. Yeah. And not everything has to be World War III. And not everything in our culture needs to be protested about on either side or tweeted about. Or social media. I know you're probably out there going, well, you're the one talking about on the radio. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're using it as an steam. opportunity. <laughs> like, okay, you pulled this. But, like, it's like, what's where does it end? And so there's so much about our culture that is everything is like DEFCON 5. Yeah. I don't even know if there is a DEFCON 5. But everything, whatever the highest DEFCON is, <laughs> everything is DEFCON that. And, and we're just constantly <laughs> making everything a huge deal. And we're talking about a kid's show on PBS or whatever it is, Alabama Public Television. Like, throw out the disclaimer. Let parents make their choice. You've, you've got Arthur on the show. Just show it. What's next? Sesame Street? Because they have some guys, you know, that some people think like Bert and Ernie might be gay. Are we now going to pull them? Some people say yes. Yeah, right. And there's all these other things. Like, not everything has to be. This is the culture we live in. 
And like, if you're going to keep just playing the game of just kind of avoiding everything in our culture, probably get rid of your television altogether. And so, like, I don't know. Like, I just want to be like, parents can have these conversations with their kids. And if you think your kid's too young, then yeah, put a little disclaimer up there. And and parents turn the television off. And if your kid's watching it without you, then quite frankly, it's probably something you need to think about to not let happen. And and I think it's even more than just parents can talk to their kids about these things. I think parents should, regardless of your theological or political positioning here, like we should be. And I think this um, this feels a little bury my head in the sandish, yeah. right? Like oh, let's just eliminate the threat. And you you talked about our our like our desire to fight. I also think it's our desire to um, to isolate at times. You know, which certainly like again. I I understand a lot of those impulses, and I and I know that I know about this much about parenting. My oldest yeah. is a year and a half, so I you know I totally get those. It's so much more complex than we can talk about in ten minutes here on the radio. But I also like I want to I want to address a little bit the thing behind the thing. What is the impulse mm. to just always shield and to always sanitize and to always you know to create this almost bubble environment where uh, everything in this realm looks exactly the way that we look and thinks the way that we think and talks the way that we talk. And I wonder, is there, is there danger in that far beyond just simply the pulling of a cartoon? Like, is, is there something, a sentiment or a posture below the surface that carried into adulthood actually can be really problematic? Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, you can make the argument that it's just too young. So I get that, but let's expand this a little more, this whole bubble mentality you're talking about. Your kid, you can't keep them in a bubble forever. And so there comes a point you need to be able to have these conversations with your kids, talk them over because they're going to get it from somewhere. Right. They're going to get it from somewhere. So why not from you? Right. Yes. That's your job as a parent. So get out (laughs) in front of it. And again, maybe your four year old watching Arthur is not the right time. So yes, Alabama public television, put a disclaimer on there, turn the TV off if you want, go for it. Totally. But there's going to come a point where you cannot keep protecting your kids. And you and I have both been youth pastors. The parents who've tried to protect their kids from everything at all times, those are the kids that end up doing drugs and having sex and doing the crazy stuff you tried to protect them from. Not all the time, by the <laughs> no. way. It's not, it's not a one-to-one. But you but know what I'm talking yeah, about. I do. It's totally the case. And so let's not just parent by fear and live by fear. Let's not make everything DEFCON whatever. And let's just be people who live in this culture but are not of this culture and have these conversations with our kids so that they can navigate the culture when they get out in it. All that to say, Brian and I are starting a cartoon series that will be airing <laughs> next week. We hope that you'll join us and tune in. After we lose this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, believe it or not, George Washington is in the news. Yeah, the real George Washington. That is what we're going to talk about coming up next right here in The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Yes, it's probably stressing you out, especially if you need to also make an insurance claim to get that roof replaced. Well, I would highly, highly recommend you call my friend Joe at Fox. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. I was going to say right, Reverend. Nope. The per, the prodigious, Brian. I don't even know that I'm even saying that word correctly. Probably not. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, eleven sixty hope dot com. Plus, once we're done here, uh, you can get the show podcast. Mm-hmm. That's usually posted by about six ten every day, and uh, you can listen to us at twice the speed. For some people, that's really really appealing. And before we dive in, uh, I want to talk about food for the poor. If you go to our website eleven sixty hope dot com, uh, click the image saving starving families. We mm-hmm. we've been uh, partnering with them for a while now, and 
this is a remarkable ministry. We're working specifically in Haiti where the humanitarian crisis is off the charts. And when we had you know a couple of guys in the studio talking about what they've seen on the ground, I, it was devastating. Like, mm. I could not believe some of the stuff that they saw with their own team. They wasn't. They didn't show a film. It wasn't like here's some statistics. They're like, no, no. I, I walked these streets. I saw not just poverty, but like you know they've had they've had all sorts of uh, yeah. natural disasters too, which just sort of perpetuate everything. So here's what we want you to do: uh, go to 1160hope.com, click Saving Starving Families, and for just eighty dollars, <throat> you can give a kid food for a year, water for life. Or if you give a gift of three hundred and twenty dollars, which is just twenty seven dollars a month, which like you know, how easily do we spend twenty seven dollars a month? We don't even think about it half the time. Uh, that that's for a whole family of four: food for a year, water for life. And uh, once you do, share it on social media. Let's make this thing go viral. Tweet it, post it, whatever you need to do, because uh, we're not just making a difference. We're literally saving yep. people. We're saving families, and so we would love to make a a huge difference there. Well, you uh, you shared a story, Brian. Uh, the war on history comes for George Washington. Yeah. And uh, the topic itself is really interesting, but they're kind of coming after George Washington specifically. So I want to get into the weeds a little bit and then kind of pull back and ask some broader questions about, like, is is this helpful? Is this a good idea in general? And yeah. uh, how, do, how do we process it? In, in some ways, there's – I just thought about this. If you're with us on the last segment, we were talking about Arthur and Alabama and this and that uh, – in some ways, it's the same issue from different sides, right? It's just mm. trying to pull and eliminate and get rid of mm. the conservative, you know, going, well, we got we got to get rid of the cartoon with the gay wedding, got to just eliminate it. And, and now there seems to be what this article is talking about, the war on history. And we, we've seen a lot of this. And, I, and I, you and I were just talking, getting ready for this, going, I'm not sure what I always think about this. So sometimes it's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. We talk into mics going, I don't know exactly what I think about. It. But here's the concept. Uh, the city of San Francisco is kind of going after and trying to eliminate uh, uh, a picture of with George Washington in it um, because they don't like what it depicts. And also just trying to eliminate George Washington because, you know, some of, you know, things with slavery or other things. And but the the broader picture is this kind of uh, rethinking of history, going to historical figures mm. uh, who were living in a context and living in a time. Uh, but now taking our uh, our 2019 values, cultural values, and superimposing them upon those people. And if they don't meet those standards, then kind of erasing them a little bit. Hmm. And on one hand, you get it. But on the other hand, that feels really dangerous for a couple of reasons. One, it's, they were it, like life changes, standards change, things change. Uh, but two, who gets to make that decision? Hmm. Like who gets to go, well... No, I don't think we should celebrate George Washington or uh, I don't think we should anymore celebrate uh, that person. And so who gets to make uh, those changes about whether it be the founding fathers or Abraham Lincoln or whoever else? Well, this is why we have systems of government, though, right? Isn't that isn't that part of the role? It isn't just somebody in a vacuum making these decisions willy nilly. There are systems of accountability and laws and legal proceedings and. Isn't that part of the point? A little bit, although as you read through these, this isn't always the government. And sometimes it's just a groundswell of like, well, that person had a slave, so no more, you know, we can't do this. And so, you know, just the elimination of our history feels weird to me. It feels strange. Just tell the story. Because George Washington, uh, he lived in a different time, right? Uh, And let me give you an example. Okay. Okay. So culturally. 
because uh, we get Christopher Columbus, we get all of these. Uh, I would I was reading recently uh, a a quote from a pastor uh, about homosexuality, and it was from the nineteen late nineteen fifties. Okay, and it was uh, if it was said today, it would have been really inflammatory because it's a different cultural context, right? Uh, it was said uh, by Martin Luther King. So the question is, does that disqualify everything Martin Luther King did in the eyes of our culture? Because what he said would have been inflammatory today. But that's not what this is about, though. But it disqualifying the work he's done is different not than the work, but the celebration of even that, though. What we're not saying is taking those now inflammatory, insulting words and including them in a sermon. Sure. You, I, you would not do that, right? Totally because that would be wildly inappropriate. Right. So what do, you, what do you think is the difference then between somebody recognizing that George Washington had a lot of behaviors that, while maybe culturally appropriate then, are deplorable now, and for us to say, ah, it's a different time, it's a different era. I just don't think you can erase them. You can't be like, well, so now we're not going to teach our kids about him. Or now we're never, we're not going to say not to teach about him, though. Well, that's what the, a little bit was some of the uh, other ones that they were doing with Jefferson Davis and others. There's, there was kind of this movement out of here to say, you know what? We need to kind of reevaluate uh, whether or not we hold these people up. So maybe not, not, I was going to say that's them. different. That is different. Yes. But I still think George Washington, to take this from here, uh, I still think it doesn't change the role George Washington played in the founding of our country. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And so therefore to be, you know, this article talks about a movement like let's, you know, you start to see statues getting taken down, not necessarily of George Washington, but of others. I'm just I'm just asking the question also, who gets to make that call? Yeah. And I think that there are processes in place to decide those things. I think not teaching about somebody and taking down a statue that reveres them are two very different things. I think you you can take down a statue and still teach, hopefully with some balance. Like, yeah, he was a, a very formative part of our history. Also, we learned some pretty terrible things about him. And it's not dissimilar from the conversation we had months ago about pastors who fall far from grace. Does that mean every book they wrote needs to be burned? Like, no, they probably said some good stuff, but we don't hold them up and revere them or give them a platform anymore. Uh, because they disqualify themselves. And it does, is that different when you're only looking through the lens of history and culture and context? Or do we have some responsibility to say, you know what? Um, we still need to teach it. In fact, okay, so brief story. Uh, my brothers and I were in Munich, 2010, mm-hmm. and we were doing some walking tours. And what was so fascinating about being in Germany is this tour guide knew, because he's a tour guide, uh, all these like secret monuments like tucked in the city, like little plaques that didn't um, were just imagery without words. And they all pointed to the horrors of Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. um, but they had to they had to keep them there subtly, though, so that the people that knew where they were knew that these were like sort of subtle nods to hey, let's never get there again. But so that it couldn't become this, they didn't want like Nazis from all over the all over the world, yep. uh, you know, coming back and like inspiring some sort of resurgence. So they they still kept these symbols there as like a reminder to themselves. Let's not let's not go back to this, but they weren't holding up. Uh, it, for reverence, the people that had enacted great evil, regardless of the culture. Mm-hmm. So do you think that we could have that people? Uh, well, what do you think about in just in general, taking our cultural norms and our cultural beliefs and imposing them upon a different time period when those may not have been the beliefs of the time? 
I, I don't think that is even really the conversation. I, oh, I, I think it totally is. I totally disagree. I don't think it's about imposing. I think it's about saying, hey, if, are we progressing as a culture? Are we evolving as a culture? Are there things that were inappropriate even 20 years ago that we now rightfully don't do anymore? I think it's way deeper than just simply superimposing values. I think it's saying, no, we moved on. We we got to better places and to continue to revere practices that are deplorable and dehumanizing is uh, a misuse of our modern I think, sensibilities. I think there are some of those that are blatant that I understand. Yeah. But I would ask you, and I know we got to go. <laughs> we do uh, got to go. Who gets to, who gets to decide what is progress and what's deplorable and what is evolving in the right direction? I think we can say who slavery gets, though, in general. Absolutely. But, but there's a lot more nuance that if we go down this road is going to end up there. But just because there's nuance doesn't mean that we shouldn't begin the process, though. Just because down the road there might be nuance, I don't think is reason for us to say, like, well, we shouldn't even bother journeying this direction because there will be nuance later down the road. Understood. I'm just asking who gets to determine what progress is right. I think our legal system. I think mm-hmm. lawyers and governments and counties and the, the systems and structures that have been established to make these decisions I don't think they're the ones currently making the decisions. Oh, I disagree, Brian Fromm. Oh, this is fun. We're very disagreeable today. This is good. I'm disagreeable no, we, today. I said oh, we, we are very disagreeable today. Let's have a fun one coming up next. Trump's golf costs, $102 million and counting with taxpayers picking up the tab. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm. Is dancing along. I am. Jiving. Grooving. I'm enjoying today, man. It's nice out. It's finally oh, warm. It's better than nice. People are mocking me for wearing shorts. I'm going shorts. Who's mocking you? Give me names. Marcus Brown. Marcus Brown. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. mocking you for wearing shorts. A little bit. A little bit. Who is Marcus Brown in the hierarchy of the station? Is above he... us. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been nice Way doing the show with you. Above us. Been a lot of fun, Brian Fromm. <laughs> All right, a couple of things. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. You can call us at 312 660 Two five nine four. That's three one two six six zero two five nine four. You can text us at six eight six eight three, and then in your message body, first type CG for common good, and then your thought, your anecdote, your suggestion, your riddle, your pun. Pun. We'll take Always all the God, back to the, pun. the puns. All right. So it doesn't even it doesn't even seem fair to say I teed this up because that pun is just uh-huh. <laughs> it's just so easy. So I won't even make the joke. That was good. No, <laughs> no, I like that. That was Thanks, really man. good. A swing and a miss. Uh, Trump's golf costs, $102 million in counting with taxpayers picking up the tab. Mm-hmm. Why don't you let us know what's going on here? Yeah, so uh, basically, if you watch the news and stuff, you know that Donald Trump, our president, likes to golf. And it said this, Donald Trump's golf habit has already cost taxpayers at least $102 million in extra travel and security expenses. And next month, we'll achieve a new milestone, a seven-figure presidential visit to another country so he can play at his own course. And the point of this article is to unpack how you get to that dollar amount, right? right. Like it's... Uh, no president can travel anywhere without it being an immense amount of money because right. of security, because of the people that have to go before them, because of everything. So there's no these, it's expensive. These numbers, because you might be out there going, how do you spend one hundred two million dollars on golf? This isn't on golf. This is about security and travel. Yeah. And this. And I also, you know, don't want to, bemo- you know, if he's getting the job done, then, you know, if golf is the way that, you know, he were to. Uh, decompress like it still seems excessive to me but you know but that's we're not, not the, we're not golfers yeah i am a golfer oh you are i don't golf this much but <laughs> oh 
How much have you spent on golf this I year? I love golf. <laughs> Not in this year. If anybody, oh, I got to get out. I'm going to say if anybody wants to take me, but that would be probably illegal. <laughs> I, I, I love to golf. Illegal. But you know what it is? You know how it is, man. When you got kids now and a job or two jobs and this and that, it becomes hard to go golfing. But yeah. And the fact that it rains here every like three hours. I'm so, thankful that I am terrible at golf. Yes. You and I should go golfing some. Nope. No? Mini golf? I'll be your caddy. Oh, uh, for real? Why not? That'd be fun. <laughs> That'd be fun. Why not? <laughs> if anyone texts us and they would like Ian to be their caddy, just text us at 68683. That'd be the worst caddy. Uh, he, can I tell you though, what bothers me most about this story? This story was written to kind of uh, highlight the fact of how much money, taxpayer money is being spent. And that bothers me. That's a big deal. Right. Especially when you're a conservative who's supposed to be, you know, trying to keep... <laughs> Dollar taxpayer money down, right? You're trying <laughs> to keep enough, it up. Yep, yeah. But it's actually not what bothers me the most. The most bothersome thing to me on both sides of the aisle, but on this one, it's going to be on the Republican side of the aisle, is hypocrisy. Hmm. I feel like the longer that I, the older I get, the more that hypocrisy just bothers me. And, and we'll probably spin this forward to the church and the, the effect that hypocrisy has on, on Christians. But let me just read to you a couple tweets. Uh, that Donald Trump D- Donald Trump wrote in 2011. He wrote, I play golf to relax. My company's in great shape. Barack Obama plays golf to wor- uh, to escape work while America goes down the drain. Okay. He then wrote three years later, can you believe that with all the problems and difficulties facing the U.S., President Obama spent the day playing golf worse than Carter? And then the last one, this is while he was campaigning. He wrote, he said, I love golf. But if I were in the White House, I don't think I'd ever see Turnberry. I wouldn't see Doral. Uh, he said, I don't ever think I'd see anything. I just want to stay in the White House and work my tail off. Right. Did and, he say tail? Nope. Okay. And so, <laughs> again, I like I want to have my job. And so here's my point, man. Here's what bothers me. And, and if you're a Trump supporter, what I'm about to say is probably going to bother you. But it goes for both sides of the aisle completely and increasingly. Why is it that it feels like politically and culturally we can rail against something on the other side of the aisle, but cannot rail against the same thing when our the own thing, preferred right. people do it? Barack Obama golfed less than Donald Trump, but I can remember watching news shows where it was like one of the leading things about ridiculing him for how much he golfed. And so I'm golf or not golf why aren't the same people saying the same things is it just that much of a team sport i guess Mm. is what politics has become and i think my radar for hypocrisy is so high that i would have so much respect for somebody if they got up onto the news tonight and they were republican who was a total trump backer and they said you know what i really like his policies i'm all for donald trump but i think the golf's a bit ridiculous Oh, or I'd even, be like, yes. Even if it's not that the golf is ridiculous, like oh, I, uh, I think, I think it's fine either way. I need to apologize for going after Barack. Even, even that, even that sentiment would feel like. Don't, wouldn't you stand up and cheer? Like, okay, you're at least being like yeah. even handed with your criticism. And this totally happens on both sides of the aisle. So if you're like, oh, Trump hater, like, no, this is totally both. But this one. Uh, like, let's just be honest. He probably golfs too much and has spent too much taxpayer money on it. And it should bother fiscal conservatives who are supposed to be about keeping money reined in. And it should cause some questions. But for some reason, we feel like we always have to defend uh, our people, our our, our side team. of the aisle, yeah. our team. And yeah. then when we do that, it just comes across as so hollow. You know, like I was watching something where they were pulling Lindsey Graham quotes from when Bill Clinton was uh, in office, and it's 180 degrees different than what he's saying now, and it mm. happens on the other side of the aisle. I saw a thing the other day with 
some things Nancy Pelosi said with Barack Obama that now are 180 degrees <laughs> different than now. Like it's both sides. It's infuriating. And I just wish our politicians had a little bit of character to call uh, to call a spade a spade and not everything was completely thought out. What will this do to the polls? This is why you and I can never run for anything. But what will this do to the polls? But instead, just say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to support our president. I like his policies. But you know what? This golfing thing should stop. Do the ends justify the means, though? I can imagine getting into the head of somebody who's saying, hey, the reason I'm silent on this issue, even if they're like, I realize it's hypocritical, but ultimately, if it gets this person in office who will enact these policies that I believe in, it's worth me being hypocritical on social media in order to get the right person in office that right. I believe will make, you know, I'm the greater sure, good available. I'm sure that is true for a lot of people. I think you and I have talked about it before. I'm not a big when it comes to our political candidates, I'm not a big ends justify the means guy. I think the character matters and yeah, me too. I think all of it matters. And and that's just a dangerous way to play, right? Cause you know, if you link to yourself to someone that you don't necessarily want to be linked to, that's going to come back on you at some point. But again, it goes back to hypocrisy for me because right. really what, what's the number one thing you and I hear from people about the church and about Christians, Yeah, people who aren't, you always take part of our team or part of our tribe. It's right. I can't handle the hypocrisy, right? Like if there were just a little bit less hypocrisy in the world where we could just own our mistakes, own our problems, call out the people that we are actually in favor of still when nobody's suggesting that our president is perfect. No one's suggesting our last president was perfect then just acknowledge when they're not perfect and acknowledge when it's an issue. And I think that then uh, makes people trust you more. Yeah. And I think too, maybe even to drill down a layer deeper, I think sometimes we're very unaware of our hypocrisy. I think we've been saying this since day one, our confirmation bias is very, very strong, often without us knowing it, right? We're predisposed to like an article shared by an author that we already like or to, to retweet something by a candidate whose team we're already on. Like those are very important and powerful waters that we swim in. And I think that, I mean, not to get too cheese ball, it's why we need each other and it's why we need to be courageous enough to invite people into our circles who look and talk and act and think and vote differently than we do because without that, without those influences, uh, we don't grow. And I think it is really important. I think you made a a really important call to stand up for integrity, integrity, no matter where we're at in the journey. Right. And hypocrisy, nothing cuts at integrity and character more quickly than when people see blatant hypocrisy. Ooh, get them, Brian from. Well, what you. do you think? We'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 312-660-2594, 312-660-2594, or on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, the risk of inviting Jesus into your summer. Mm-hmm. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This I am not sure what that even was. What that music is. Nope. Does it feel like we're about to take off? It feels... Do you know what this feels like? This feels... Oh, we did this the other day. You haven't been to Disney World. This I haven't. To, this totally feels like you're getting on a like one of those dark kind of space rides at Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> bow, 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 bow. Let's try to see how many space-related puns we can fit into this segment. Huh. Inspired okay. by this music. Well, let's let... You, your game? Yeah, this segment is going to take off, man. Oh, you win. I don't want to play. <laughs> I don't, don't want to play this game anymore. Uh, all right, before we dive in, I want to talk to you about Food for the Poor. We've been partnering with them for years and years and years. Uh, an incredible organization, but we're narrowing our focus to Haiti because it's a, it's a humanitarian crisis and there's mm-hmm. all sorts of... I mean, we have people in the studio talking about their real-life experience, and i got to be honest, I, I went home and like looked at my fridge differently. Like it's really, really convicting. And so for just $80, you can give a kid food for a year, Mm -hmm. water for life. And my guess is 
there's people listening. You can do way more than 80 bucks. You can go to our website, yes. 1160hope.com, and then click on Saving Starving Families. The whole process, honest to God, takes like less than three minutes. Mm. And uh, we would love for the common good audience to just rise up and let's save some families, right? Absolutely. I mean, you think about how much we spend money on things that don't even matter. What if, what if that was a teaching opportunity for our kids or for a small group to step up and say, man, we're, we're making a difference. I would love for us to be part of that together. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. You can also call us, 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. What do you think about uh, the Arthur Show or Trump? Golfing for $102 million or George Washington. I feel like I've been very yelly today so far. We've both been kind of yelly. yelly. Is, it, is it the coffee? You don't drink coffee. I don't right. drink coffee. I have a lot of iced teas today. But, you know, <laughs> Iced tea does not make people nearly as ornery as coffee does, though. But it gets you caffeinated. You're like ready to run like I want to go. <laughs> you makes you want to talk about Arthur and all these things. So. <laughs> we, we have liftoff. Oh, oh, I brought it back. All oh. right. So this, this one will be everyone kind of lower your shoulders a little bit. Yeah. The road rage will kind of ratchet back a little bit. The risk of inviting Jesus into your summer. I'm not even really going to read any of it because I think it's it's actually a topic that I care a lot about and have also found that I'm terrible at mm. this idea of just like loving your neighbors and loving your neighborhood, your actual physical neighborhood and taking opportunities that afford us, you know, when it's nicer out. Uh, my wife and I, honestly, we were just having this conversation last night. We were it was nice out and we were on the back porch. We were eating some Thai food. And I was like, you know, what? I don't. I don't know most of our neighbors' names, yep. and we've not we've not been there that long, and we you know had a couple of kids in there. Plus, winters are crazy; you don't see anybody during the winters. But it, like, I felt really convicted. Like I preach sermons about this stuff, yeah, and I have not had a substantial conversation with most of these people. Like it really. It was convicting, but I think in the right sense, like, so now that, you know, people are out mowing their grass, I'm thinking about even like moving my bonfire pit to the front of the yard That's instead cool. of the back. Like, what if we, what if we made really intentional efforts about, you know, getting to know our neighbors and not treating them like projects, yes. not just trying to proselytize them, but to actually get to know them. I think, I think now's the time to do that. Absolutely. Before I give you my opinion, uh, <laughs> you, you just said something that I'm not sure I'll ever say in my wife, in my life. Okay. My wife and I were on the deck eating Thai food. <laughs> you don't do Thai food. I just, I like it, but I, I just don't know that that's ever going to happen. What? Just, Why? I don't, it's just not in our rhythm. <laughs> if my wife is listening, maybe there'll be Thai food waiting when I get home out on the deck. <laughs> yeah. Speak it into existence. Yes. Uh, you know what? It's, it's striking to me and we're just starting to get nice weather, but sometimes we just have to own the fact that you just don't see your neighbors during the winter. And some people do, uh, but we don't. In fact, it's a running joke with our neighbors across the street. Like, how were your last four months? Right. Because you get out of your car, you run in, it's like negative 10 degrees or you're shoveling snow and like waving at each other, but you're just mad. You're not going to go talk to each other. Right. And so what this article is saying is that the summertime gives us a unique opportunity to use a church word here to be missional. Yeah. And why is that? Because, man, I've preached the exact same sermons uh, that you're talking about, about like you've got to. Yeah, it's, the Great Commission is go. Most of you aren't going to go to Africa. Most of you are going to go to your neighborhood, yeah. go to your workplace, go to your community. I've preached all of them. We've handed out the uh, the magnets about, like, do you know and pray for or even know the names of the people around yep. your yep. home? All of those are great things. And I, there are still neighbors of mine. I don't have the first idea of their names. And I've lived there 10 years. Some neighbors were tight with. Uh, but others, it's like, oh, yeah, I've never even knocked on their door. And that's why sometimes we so oversell what it means to be a missionary. Yeah, agreed. Like we so oversell, like I've got to have all this training. I've got to have all. No, uh, 
to live on mission, to be, to live the way Jesus called us to live really starts with getting to know the names of your neighbors and getting to know the names of your coworkers and, and then going from there and not like viewing them as you said, as a project, but just getting to know people. And so I love your idea of like literally moving to the front yard away from the backyard, um, or just taking that step to say, you know what, I'm going to have a barbecue and I'm going to invite the guy that I've, uh, the next door neighbor family that I've never, we've never connected with and just own it. Be like, Hey, we've lived next to each other for a long time, <laughs> right? but we've never gotten to know you. Like we want to come over and yeah. like taking those steps and just seeing if a, just a friendship comes together, let alone, uh, you know, the goal is not like, Hey, come into my house. And maybe by the second time we hang out, I'll be discipling you. And then we'll baptize you next week. <laughs> I'll fill the tub exactly. up. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> praise God if that happens. But for most of us, it's, hey, I kind of like you. You're kind of fun. Yeah, Let's right. have dinner again. Let's right, do this. Right, right. Uh, and so I think with this article, to go back to it, is telling us in, in so clearly is that the summer is the time. We, a lot of us, our schedule's a little more open, right? Like a little more. And you're outside. It's an opportunity to get to know people. Yeah, you know, one of the things I tweeted a couple of weeks ago was that if you've ever left your house, you've been on a mission trip. Mm-hmm. And the 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 thought there is that every every time we leave our house, uh, we have an opportunity to to think missionally. Mm. And that is unfortunate. I think sometimes it's a it's a very churchy word, but to yep. live on mission, I think in many ways is to see all of life as this opportunity to share the love of Jesus. And I yeah. think often, if we could be really honest, sometimes. We're so, we're so caught in our own schedules and our own calendars and our own appointments that it can be really hard to see the neighbor as Mona's grass or the lady across the street that actually seems oh, pretty yeah. upset about something. Like, ah, I would love to talk to her, but I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta, in fact, there's a book that I taught through a couple of years ago that was really helpful. It's called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, in I fact, taught you, through the exact did you really? same book. Oh yes. man. The Such a good book. Not only is the book great. But if you go to artofneighboring.com, yes. uh, they have a whole bunch of free resources and that uh, magnet you were talking about. Yep, like, that's where it came from. Even just having a visual uh, to remind you. Like, it, wouldn't it be weird if like one of our neighbors was listening right now and they're like hearing our voice? They're like, wait a minute. I think that's the guy that lives over that <laughs> that brown house over there. Like Isn't that would be that's yes. I should be friends with them, but it's it's hard, I think, to get out of our rhythms because we just kind of live with our nose so close to the canvas. And I think. So many of the most meaningful relationships in my life were a result of somebody making a courageous, maybe awkward first step. Like, yeah. hey, do you want to get a cup of coffee or do you, you guys want to come over for dinner? Like, yeah, it actually is pretty awkward. And I sometimes kind of resent the depictions like, oh, no, it's just this heavenly exchange. Like, nope. Sometimes it's really weird. Adults don't know how to make friends. I think kids are actually way better at this than we oh, are. 100%. In just terms of like, how do I, I'm 36, I'd like to be your friend. <laughs> like, there's no non-awkward way to do it. Do it anyway. And sometimes the answer is just to look up. You know, like the other day, totally. I got, I'm just, this is like therapy now. I'm just going to have to make a confession here. <laughs> uh, I got out of the car, my car the other day in the driveway. So our, 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 um, our garage, you can't pull the car in. So I, we park on our driveway, get out, go to the front door. I got out and I could tell my neighbor was out and I was like, I'm literally not going to look up because I just want to get into the house. <laughs> like sometimes the answer is just look up. See, people think us pastors, we have it all together. Mm. Absolutely not. not like, this not is as much all. a struggle for us as you. And so we're preaching to ourselves here, but totally. just use the summer, use the being outside as an opportunity to build friendships for the sake of building friendships. And then maybe God will use them in some greater way, but maybe at their extent, they're just good friendships. And I think the apostle Paul actually said, make the most of every opportunity. Yes. Right? 
make the most of every opportunity probably includes looking up, probably includes actually being mindful of our schedules and our calendars and saying, where do I need to loosen some space to be present for my neighborhood? Absolutely. You've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Wherever you get your podcast, you can like and review, subscribe, all that stuff somehow magically helps us. You can also call us at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, Brian, one of the things that I have appreciated about you and the show in general is that it it really isn't a one-dimensional show. Like some of the stuff that we choose to tackle, I, I've listened back to them and even been surprised. Mm-hmm. By some of them like, wow, we chose that story. We chose that angle. And one of the things that we say a lot is that our our goal and hope is to create space for dialogue. And that means that sometimes we'll dive into a topic where there just there aren't easy answers. The story maybe doesn't tie up with a nice easy bow. You and I have disagreed even today. Like that, I think, is so representative of how actual life is. Mm-hmm. And so rather than kind of shouting back and forth from our echo chambers, like what if it looked like what what would it look like for us to lean in and have a conversation? Which means that sometimes we have pretty tragic stories. Yeah. And uh, the story that you found uh, is about Columbine survivor Austin Eubanks. Uh, spoke out a lot about his his emotional pain and drug addiction uh, has committed suicide. Yeah, and there's so many layers to this, but I'd love for you just to to, to kind of help us understand what actually happened here, yeah. and uh, and then and then we'll kind of uh, step back a little bit. Yeah. So Austin Eubanks uh, was a Columbine student in 1995, uh, 1999. I'm sorry. At that, that's like the first school shooting, right? The first one that w- most of us, one of the big ones, remember. Yeah. And so uh, he began, he was injured in that shooting, and uh, that led to some uh, painkiller and other opiate um, addiction that most people thought he had gotten to the point. But he did a lot of speaking. He spoke about trauma and pain. Uh, He was often stepping in when there was um, when there was other school shootings. And so uh, he eventually uh, as a Columbine survivor, and it's just hard because recently, as you said, even though he was speaking out about the emotional pain and drug addiction uh, and what it was like to be a survivor like this, he ended up, it overwhelmed him. And at the age of 37, uh, just last week, he was found dead in his home. And it's just Gosh. really shook a lot of people, obviously. Yeah. And it's this reminder, man, besides just being just a sad, sad story, uh, it's a reminder uh, that trauma survivors struggle their entire lives. Even if people out there look like they have life altogether, that uh, it doesn't mean that they do. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Just because he had a microphone and a stage and appeared to be talking about how to get past trauma did not mean that he had gotten past trauma or that any of us do get past that sort of trauma. 
and so yeah, it's just a, it's a sad story. When I saw it for the first time, it it, it really kind of broke my heart. So I want to I want to talk a little bit more about what you just said in a second, but I want us to listen to uh, some words from Austin's mouth himself because I think it's it's helpful context for kind of maybe understanding a little bit more of what was really going on. So let's listen to him and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it. I very quickly began drug seeking in order to soothe my emotional pain. And it was only a matter of months before the prescriptions had turned to alcohol, marijuana, and illicit narcotics. And as addiction always does over the course of the next decade, my tolerance continued to build, my life continued to be unmanageable, and my emotional pain stayed unresolved. It was like I had pressed a pause button on my emotional growth. I was managing my pain in the only way I knew how. We have to practice early interventions. We have to educate youth with real-world methods. We have to stop thinking that people can be rehabilitated in 30 days. And then we have to improve accessibility to long-term treatment. We have to eliminate the stigma associated with addiction. And most importantly, we have to reform a broken healthcare system that is slowly coming to terms with the fact that they're responsible for this pandemic. So that, that was like jam-packed with all sorts of wisdom. And that was, that was from a TED Talk that he had given. But the, the thing that I find so haunting is that someone with that much wisdom, mm-hmm. that much wherewithal, that much self-reflection, that much education, would still find himself in a place where he just couldn't see a picture of going forward anymore. Yep. yep. You know, and I think that, that that for me, like you were saying, it, it is really, really, really important to remember that everyone is fighting a battle we know nothing about. Yep. Every person you encounter is carrying some kind of baggage or has some sort of hurt or pain or wound. And I think for him, it probably went way deeper than that, probably more like trauma. Um, but that's a hard thing to kind of keep in the forefront, right? Because we put someone up on a stage and they, they're so articulate about a, a topic that you know a lot of us are very passionate about. It, I, I could see it being easy for someone to step back and say, well, man, thank, thank God he's out of the woods, right? Yeah. He's, he's safe. And we just sort yep. of assume, we assume public figures are the most safe, right? But it, it, it turns out that's often, often very, very far from the truth. It's often not true. And man, I just reading this article, it just makes me so sad for him. Like he said, there are certain things, smell, sounds, a song that take you back. Uh, one of the things that gets to me is anytime there's footage of kids running out of a building, like he's, he, uh, it was uh, the the shooting, the trauma he went through as a high school kid. It's not an overstatement to say that it haunted him for the rest of his life. It led to drug abuse. It led to other things. And man, it's just so many of us. I'm not saying he did this, but so many of us, we, we put on uh, just a good face, right? We put on a good image and it's just such a reminder uh, to two things for me. One is uh, just because somebody looks happy and like they have it all together doesn't mean they do. And this this helpful uh, thing in here about uh, people never really heal fully from trauma, like even if they look like they're doing well, uh, don't assume that they are. But, you know, for those of you out there who may be struggling, who may be struggling with um, just, you know, whether it be depression or just trauma and thoughts of suicide, like there is hope and there is help. And so I would encourage you to reach out to a friend or a loved one, get professional help uh, and, and, uh, and also know uh, that no matter what has happened to you or what you have done, that, that Jesus loves you and is, uh, and that you can find 
uh, hope in that. And so um, for those of us who haven't gone through things, hopefully you have your eyes open to see the hurt around you. Uh, and for those of you who are going through immense darkness, know that uh, that there is hope. Yeah, and we had uh, quoted from a, a TED Talk a couple of weeks ago where the, the big idea was that we don't move on from grief. We move forward with it. And this idea that, you know, eventually you just sort of move on. Uh, mm-hmm. They're finding more and more like at a at a neurobiological level just isn't true. You know, I talked about kind of how like scars, physical scars, you know, even though they're technically medically healed, they're still very tender to touch. And so, so often what I unfortunately think is the message is we, we say to the people who are hurting, mm. Hey, if you're in this place, raise your hand. Uh, hey, let us know. And I think it has to be way more proactive than that. Yes. We cannot put all the onus on the people who are feeling like they're drowning yeah. because so often like, Oh, I didn't know any, he didn't say anything. Like what if, what if just collectively, we were awkwardly proactive with just checking in with each other. Like, I'm sure it'll be weird because someone will say, why do I not seem okay? And you're like, no, I, no, I, I just, I wanted to be diligent and actually checking in on each other. Like, I think if it's true that everyone is fighting a battle, we know nothing about what if we were just more proactive rather mm-hmm. than waiting for someone to raise a hand and say, Hey, I'm falling apart of the seams. Yeah. Like I'm losing hope. I've lost sight of the goal. What if, what if instead of waiting for people to wave a hand, we were proactive about it. We we were proactive. Like, hey, I, I'm not saying I've seen any of the signs or anything. I just want to make sure you're okay. Is there anything yes. that I can do? How can I pray for you? These are like easy entry points that so often, at least in my own life, if someone doesn't say something, I just assume they're fine. Yes. But how often has that not been the case in my life where I kept my mouth shut, but like deep down, I was really wrestling with some stuff and I yeah. didn't raise my hand. And that could be shame. That could be pride. That could be busyness that could be disillusionment that could be denial it could be any of those things but like if we only expect the hurting to raise their hands i think we're missing the point i think we need to be proactive about saying how can i better care for you how can i reach out to you how can i love you best yeah i think that's good i think that uh you know last segment we were talking about something completely different but one of the takeaways was the same like every now and then just look up like put your your head up because sometimes we just run through life so crazy and we're uh, i'm speaking for myself here i'm often good at helping people when they are in the midst of like the initial uh, trauma, right? Like mm. the, the the loved one dies or they're in the hospital, but then that continues after life goes back to quote unquote normal. And so, you know, if you know of people who have, who have suffered trauma in your life, check in on them, like, like Ian said, and if you've gone through stuff, I just want you to know that there's hope. Yeah, absolutely. There is hope. You are needed as we were talking yesterday. Yeah. You matter. Your life matters. And uh, man, that that is my open prayers that I would never get so caught up in the quote work of ministry that I like failed to be just a brother to the people that need yes. us. And I think that sometimes takes a lot of courage that sometimes takes standing against the flow of culture that says, do more, accomplish more, schedule more, and just simply being present with the people around us. But mm-hmm. I think, man, no time like the present. Yes. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about Joel Houston on why he needed a worship revival and Hillsong United's next chapter. That's coming up next on the common good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Common good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. That actually is Brian's band from high school. So that, you can you can check him on that. Just go to askjeeves.edu. Uh, your mind. How's that? How does your mind work? I, I don't. I, I mean, some would argue that it does not work. Yes. But 
You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. You can call us at 312-660-2594. And I want to I talk a little bit about uh, a few things, not the least of which, though, Joel Houston, if you don't know, is sort of the front man. Can I say front man for a worship band? Does that make sense? It, it does. <laughs> You're not great with it. Problematic. You're not great. Okay. <laughs> great. Great. I'm trying not to let the cat out of the bag just yet. Either way, Joel Houston of Hillsong United uh, did an interview with Relevant, kind of talking a little bit about one, the industry of worship music; two, kind of burning out and and losing wonder in the process, which I, I find so fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I'd also kind of love to pick your brain because we, you know, we've talked uh, at length about the, just the differences of our churches and some of the uh, differences of approaches and styles and aesthetic and all that. So I, yep. I think there's a lot going on there. But he, So this is part of what he said at the very beginning of this article. He said, I just found myself in a place where, let's be real, I kind of lost wonder. Mm. Which, you know, who among us hasn't, who hasn't been there at some point in our lives? I think, for better or for worse, um, Christian leaders tend to be the most susceptible to this. Yeah. Right? I, to, like, lose the reasons for all of this. Yeah, I think it's true because... Uh, anytime something becomes your job, you can easily lose, you know, what drove you to it in the first place. And it's this weird coming together of faith and passion and employment. And right. it becomes this weird stew. And sometimes, you know, you lose that passion. You, you lose kind of the perspective as to why you got into this in the first place. Uh, it's, I'm, I, you know... There's a lot harder things in the world, but sometimes it can be hard to be a professional Christian. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, okay, so a little bit later in the interview, uh, Joel Houston had this to say. I think a lot of um, the last few years, a lot of the passion and drive that's just come back to when I said the bare bones of what we do is just a simple desire to see the church be a place that's full of joy and not that happy, clappy, you know, hey, everybody, like, we're, you know, onward Christian warrior kind of thing. It's more like this actual deep, gritty, dirty joy that's like founded in um, a revelation of who Jesus is and what it means um, to be his hands and feet, his living flesh and blood here on earth. Which, uh, okay, I like it. There's a, there's a lot there, right? There's a lot to that. This nitty gritty, even said so this dirty kind of, kind dirty of joy, joy yeah. which I think what he means by it is like this, it's more than just surface level, like let's gather for, you know, some entertainment for 60 minutes and go about our lives. I'm curious, in your experience, where do you see us missing the boat when it comes to actually helping move people towards that kind of like deep, gritty, substantive experience? And and I, I actually don't think this is a small church, big church thing at all. I think I think we all have pitfalls with regards to like this particular area of what we do. Yeah, it's uh, you know, a couple things came to mind for me. One is, um. You know, what's what's the radio station that plays all the Christian music right now? It's all about being positive and encouraging, right? And so there's uh, a lack of it. Yeah. There there's a lack of authenticity to me with that. That everything's happy, everything's clappy, as he said. Hmm. Uh and Hillsong over the years has played into that, right? <laughs> they helped form that a little bit. And so there's a little bit of that. There's the, you know, the inability uh we don't sing a lot of songs of lament. We don't sing a lot of songs of like the Psalms where we're crying out to God in confusion or anger or sadness going, where are you? And, uh, you know, if everything's always happy, that that begins to play into this mm. perspective that says, well, then to be a good Christian or to be accepted here, you've got to also be happy. And, and, and so it all becomes a little bit cyclical where, uh, where, where it just makes people who aren't, aren't being authentic. And so 
you know, you could go wrong the other way, but but I think what he's getting at here is just kind of this um, lack of lack of authenticity to, that says, you know what, life can be hard sometimes, and and that's not always reflected in probably the songs he was doing and other people were doing, and the ones we sing a lot in our churches, and uh, even what we probably say from our pulpits a lot. So so we probably can't uh, really relate to a Joel Houston like Hillsong United perspective, nope. but you, how long have you been a pastor? Like uh, 20 years, 20 years. Okay. Yeah. So can I just ask you like how over the course of two decades do you find time for wonder or how do you keep things? How do you keep snapping yourself? I imagine in 20 years you've had some funks. That's really good. Where you've like yeah. looked at your life. You sat at the desk and thought, what am I doing? Yep. What, what is the, what is the, how I don't have the chops. Like I felt that all the time. Like what yeah. a, there's so many better people qualify or just burn out or mm-hmm. like, uh, do you have intentional rhythms or practices that kind of help pull you out of that? Or is it sort of like when you hit it, it's all hands on deck and we got to, we got to conquer this. Yeah. I probably need better rhythms. Really? Yeah. Cause when you were saying, what are your regular rhythms? Like, I don't know. A little bit of it is, um, you know, I've told you before that when it's nice out now, I'll do a lot of walks and I'll yeah. just pray and walk and use that as an opportunity to kind of, uh, remind myself of, you know, big God, small me, it's his church. Yep. And, uh, so I'll do a lot of that. Uh, I've got some other pastor friends that I try to meet with somewhat regularly who can speak truth. That's awesome. Um, but no, it's really hard, man. It can be really hard. Burnout is a thing. Loneliness in the pastorate is a thing. Uh, that's why sabbatical was so good for me last summer. Cause it was a reminder that the church functioned quite, quite well without me. Oh yeah. Right. And that I'm not what keeps the church going. Um, so yeah, yeah, all of those things. And, uh, but, but there have been moments where I've been like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm a hindrance to the kingdom here mm. and to God's mission. Maybe it's someone else who could do better. And like, I think we all battle those. I don't even know. I've never done anything else. So I don't know if other people in other lines mm. of work battle those. But I think for pastors, I think that is an old, that is a huge battle. I, I think it actually is present in any kind of profession. I would guess so. I, my guess is there are people that are more uh, prone to wonder than others. Mm. And I, I think it's an interesting kind of take on this whole, because, you know, he wrote an album called Wonder. Yeah. And then he's really kind of laying his soul bare saying, yeah, I just kind of lost wonder. Like he talked mm. about setting out to write a book that was supposed to be 60,000 words. And he, he says he remembers looking down at the word count at one point. And it was like a million words, like a million plus. It's like, I was just using, I just needed to go, I need all the knobs to go to 11 to kind of try to make up for my burnout, which I can definitely relate. Like, yeah. oh, I'm feeling uh, anxiety over here. I'm just going to, I'm going to go five times harder over here, yeah. which, you know, is like such a caveman brain way of approaching <laughs> like burnout. But the other thing that I find interesting is that I don't know that we necessarily as a culture value wonder. Like Richard Rohr talks about mm. our brains with negative things are like Velcro and with beautiful things is like Teflon. Mm. And he was uh, quoting this neuroscience magazine that he'd been reading that in order for us to actually have like neurobiological benefits from like wonder and awe, you need to sit with it for at least 15 seconds. Yeah. A sunset, a baby laughing, whatever it is. And mm. I was like, man, 15 seconds sounds so achievable, but I'm like usually like, great sunset, gotta go. Yeah. My son's laughing. Awesome. Next thing, next project. Like this idea that the psalmist says, taste and see. Mm-hmm. You know, the Paul says that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Like there's, there's something deeper than just intellectual ascent, I think, yeah. that we're yeah. meant to live 
captivated. We're meant mm. to live. And sometimes you just got to do the dishes. Yep. Sometimes you just got to mow the grass. Right? I'm not saying like constantly live in this euphoric state of like transcendent joy. But the gritty kind of joy he's talking about, I think, also includes... Oh man, I've already seen a thousand sunsets. Yep. I'm gonna watch this one though. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna be captivated a little bit right now. I'm gonna turn the phone off. I'm gonna turn the TV off and just be present. And for me, sometimes honestly, that means trying something I've never tried before. It means a little bit of novelty, a little bit of whimsy, a little bit of like go to a restaurant I've never tried before. Go to a neighborhood. You know, like there's little ways to do that that I think are really inconvenient. They take extra time, but once I do them, it's like oh, a little part of my soul kind of lit up again. Yeah. And it, that actually makes me a better pastor that there actually are like measurable benefits, I think, to being captivated. Yes. And I don't think we often talk about it like that. Yeah. So how do you grow wonder? What are you, <laughs> what's one or two things that are kind of go to's for you that can snap you out of it or can can grow your view of God, whatever it is, what what produces wonder for you? Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of things, man. Being with my kids right now is, is high, high, mm. high. Now, this is seeing wonder in and through them. Um, which sometimes they're screaming, so that's hard to do. But like you know, music has been that for me. Going for walks, I used to make time for painting and bike rides. I haven't done mm-hmm. that in a long time. But you know, just breathing real air, um, and like a, a lot of wonder. You know, for me, my wife and I, we just love travel. And what I really love about her is like it doesn't have to be crazy exotic. Sometimes we just yep. we would just go to a little town in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and find a quirky Airbnb and go to a restaurant we've never been to. Like. We always come back from those types of trips so yeah. refreshed, not just because yeah. we got to spend time together, but it's like, oh, my world is not the world, yep. you know, and that's, I just always feel like I'm in a better place emotionally and spiritually when I can remember that, yeah. that I'm not ultimately on the throne. And that's really, really good news, mm. which is sort of like the point of Sabbath and rhythms like yes. that, right? Like it's why I think we're commanded to kind of keep those things front and center way, way easier said than done. Absolutely. But that took a turn I was not expecting. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to lie, but uh, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad it did. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, wherever it is to get your podcast, plus... You can be, pick up the phone and give us a call. I can't talk today. Nope. You can pick, pick, is, up, pick up the phone. Which is bad when you're on radio. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the only thing we're supposed to be doing right now. <laughs> 312-660-2594. And I'm going to read a headline. I'm going to disagree with the headline. And then I'm going to tell you why I actually probably agree with the article. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. I'm just going to sit here and listen the, to this. I'm nah, ready. That's no fun. No, okay. it's good. I, I'm ready for this. So the headline is this. Uh, I love Jesus, but not the church just means you don't love Jesus. Okay. Thoughts? No, 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 no. You told us you're going to disagree. No, I, didn't and then say I was no, going to do it. it. I didn't say I was going to do it all right now. No, I, I want to hear. Go. I don't want to do it all together. No, I want to create some allure, you know, and uh, tease it out. Okay, so uh, like most headlines, the headline is meant to be grabby, a little grabby, a little, um, a little clickbaity, which I think is fine. I think it is tough to make a big sweeping statement about someone's love for Jesus uh-huh. because they have difficulty with the church. But uh, he does go on to say this: the reality that the entire New Testament presupposes you are going to be a part of an institutionalized local church. People wish to delve into semantics and separate the location from the body of believers, but that isn't the point of defining what the local church is. Yes, the building could be demolished overnight and the church would still exist, the ecclesia. However, that local church still meets in time and space. That local church still has 
a designated structure made up of elders, teachers, deacons, evangelists, etc., for the edification of the whole person until the saints reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of Christ. That's Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So wh- one of the things that I do really appreciate, and I had struggled years ago when it's probably Donald Miller really leading the charge who wrote yeah. Blue Light Jazz, which I loved, and a bunch of other books that I really loved. But in a lot of ways, it was kind of leading this digital trend to, hey, you can... You can still uh, really be uh, a fully functioning Christian and not bother with church anymore mm-hmm. for these reasons. And people were like, yeah, forget church. We don't need it. We're going to meet in coffee shops and have spiritual conversations, yep. which I told I'm you, for. I told you when I was in Florida, uh, the lady that drove, we did a sightsee, a dolphin seeing tour or whatever. No, it was a sunset tour. And the lady, Same thing. <laughs> yeah, the lady who, uh, uh, who, it was her company. So driving the boat, she was, we got talking and she was an ordained minister and all this stuff. And so I was paying her. And then she said, I said, uh, where do you, uh, where are you a pastor? And she goes, Oh, this is my church. And she uh, pointed out to the sea. Uh, oh. like, okay. Here's my money. So anyway, it happens is my point. The maritime ordination. Yes. Well, the, the article goes on. It says the church is made up of living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house into a holy priesthood for service to Christ. That's first Peter two, five. And they're members of one another. Romans 12, five, Ephesians four, 25, first Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, and are present within a local community. Even still, the author of Hebrews indicates that we are not to forsake gathering with God's people because of the hope we have in Christ so that we might encourage one another to perseverance in faith. And mm-hmm. I think that idea is, and again, I'm, I know that I'm biased because we're both pastors and I know the church can be really jacked up yep. and can be really messy and probably worse. No, not probably. Definitely worse. Definitely worse. There have been absolutely atrocious things done in the name of Jesus in the name of the church, in the name of God, like I absolutely get that. Mm. And I even would go as far as to say some of the trauma people have experienced at the hands of church leaders probably requires a, a backing away for a season. Mm. That's maybe a really unpopular thing for a pastor to say, but I've heard some really heartbreaking stories where they like, and then I had to leave the church for a year. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. Mm. I told the first time that you're in a, a, a car accident, Aren't you a little skittish about driving again so for the leave, next year? They you had know? to leave the church, not just that church, but you're saying they left the church. Some have. Stepped yeah. away from the church altogether. And and there are other circumstances. I remember the last church I was pastoring, a guy approached me and he, he went through this really messy divorce. And uh, it was, you know, it was a smaller church. He's like, everyone knows. Everyone's in my business. I just need to go to a mega church for a year just to kind of be anonymous. Mm. And I, I sent him with my blessing. I was like, yeah. totally man. Like you just need to, if that's, if that's what you feel like you need for your healing, I totally get it. But I do really struggle with this idea of being a Christ follower apart from being a part of Christ's body. Like this, it's really kitschy and really trendy and kind of hip right now mm. to like, Oh, it's all about uh relationship. But you know, all of this tradition stuff or all this meeting together stuff, I don't need any of that because it's about relationship. I'm like, well, then you have a lot of the Bible to contend with, I think. Yep. And I don't know if I'm coming across like too much of a curmudgeon here, but I think they're they're meant to coincide. And I think we've so so de-elevated the role of the gathered people, the physical, the, yep. the incarnational ministry of being Christ followers together mm. uh, that we've made it. If church really just is an event on Sunday mornings, then of course we'd feel total freedom to say, well, I don't need to go. Yeah. Because it's like skipping a conference. Well, what's the, what's the harm? Yep. I think we've so, uh, we've missed opportunities, particularly in the West, to really elevate what the ecclesia of God actually yeah. is. Let me ask you this. Uh, okay. 
I thought you, I have signed on to everything you just said there. Oh, um, what about, I don't know a ton of people who are just like, I'm not going to church. Yeah. I know a lot of people who can take it or leave it like, Oh, you know, it's beautiful outside. So we're going to go, uh, to the park instead, or sure. it's this or that. How do you counsel people or what are your thoughts on people who are like, Oh, you know, if it fits, I mean, like, so it's not a rejection of the importance of church. It's just a diminishment. Oh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Any, well, I think you kind of answered it yourself. It's a diminishment of something mm-hmm. that I think is is not just paramount, but essential. Yeah. So there's tons of grace for that. Mm-hmm. If uh, if you're teaching your kid to eat vegetables and they don't love broccoli for the first 18,000 times you feed it to them, <laughs> like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, broccoli's an acquired taste, but you need some broccoli in your life. Yeah. You know, like I'm not <laughs> that's a terrible analogy. Just the put church, cheese on it. The church, yeah, right. <laughs> which is what we all do. I'm not saying the church is broccoli. I am saying sometimes though, the reason I think we diminish the role of church is because sometimes it's uninspired at best, mm-hmm. but uncomfortable for some of it. Like, oh, what if they say something that convicts me? I'm not I'm not in the mood. Like I've been convicted in the midst of writing sermons before. Yeah. That's trippy. You're yeah. Like, oh man. I have to say this to people. <laughs> I'm not doing this. So I'm not at all saying like, oh, you need to make sure yep. you come in so you can get proper, cor- you know, correction. Yep. I think it's way deeper than that. I think yeah. it's way more robust and rich and messy and incarnational to say, hey, if we if we're if it's easy for us to take it or leave it, maybe maybe we as leaders have not done a good job yeah. of actually elevating what the church actually is. Yeah, I just think like you did a great job highlighting uh, the Bible says a lot of things about the gathered people, about yeah. the church and. Uh, and Jesus's relationship with the church and his right. love for the church. Right. And so, yeah, you know, we talked hypocrisy earlier in the show and yeah, the church is often hypocritical because it's made up of hypocritical people. And there's there, it can be frustrating because it's made up of people. The old saying, right. Uh, if you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find one because you'll be there. <laughs> like it's, it, it's hard. Church can be hard, but I think you and I, we've given our lives to the church. And so, uh, yes, of course, you and I both believe wholeheartedly uh, that that the church is a necessary and essential element to a growing faith. And it's a it bolsters your faith like it, your faith is not we've we've so individualized it in the West. Mm. And that's not how the scripture speaks of it. Right. right. We often talk about spur one another on. Don't stop meeting together, gather together. And if anything, even what we do as church is so much less than what they did in the early church. But. It wasn't uh church was never uh, a building that you go to. Right. It was always a community or a family that you belong to. And if you're like, nope, I don't need that. I would say uh, that you're deviating uh, from the teachings of Scripture. Well, and I think, too, the fact that there are almost 61 another's in the New Testament mm. Really does imply like a doing life together. And I, you know, I, we could totally disagree on polity and governance, right? Yep. Like I was a part of a church that called them shepherds instead of elders. Well, that's fine. I'm all with, I'm fine with that. I just think when we, when we really do subtly communicate that you can do this Christianity thing alone, that is way more for me than just a disagreement of doctrine. I think, oh, it's, yeah. I think that's massively dangerous because of the incarnation and because of so much of what we see, obviously the church right now looks way different than it did in Acts yep. 2. The goal isn't to copy and paste what they were doing then with what we're doing now. It's, we're different. It looks yep. different, but the idea that I can actually do this thing, why if Trinity is community, right? Mm-hmm. Why would I think I can worship a God who is in essence community divorced from it myself? Mm. That just, I mean, you know what yeah. I mean? Like God's very essence is community. So this idea that I can do that, apart from 
community. Right. We need, we need each other, not just in a practical sense or a social sense, like, Oh, we can call each other out or oh, we have, we can help each other see our blind spots. That's all fine. Yeah. I think way more so though, a, at a deep, profound, sacred spiritual level, we need each other. And I think we, we fail to really recognize and celebrate that when we try to do this thing, on our own yeah, or just over a cup of coffee, you know? And I just think it's arrogant. Like it's mm-hmm. arrogant to be like, I don't need other people. Like that's the gift of the church is, yeah. is the community of, of people spurring one another on. And I think it's okay that sometimes you get to a point where like, Hey, this church right now isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Go somewhere else. We, we have such freedoms in this country yes. that there's probably 15 other churches within a four mile radius to your house. Yep. I totally understand Hey, I think it's time for us to not be a part of this community, but do the hard work. Oh man, I beseech you do the hard work of finding the community that's, that's right for you and for your family and, uh, and to lean in rather than retreat every time that you get, I think that's really important. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way that we always do with some interweb insanity that we do not find. We have not read. It's about to get weird here on the common ground <laughs> on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Okay, so before we go on, you have to own it. I gotta just own it. Gotta own you it. You may have heard me just say the common ground, which that's not this show. It's not this show. No, I'm sure it's a good show somewhere. It might not even be a show. Have I mentioned that I have a newborn at home? <laughs> Does that count? I'm on my twelfth cup of coffee. coffee. Which is maybe maybe that's the subtext. I just wanted more coffee. Yeah. So now we're tied at one because <laughs> I said common ground first segment first show that we ever did. First segment for it first was the segment, first segment. Yes, first segment first show, and now we're. F- Almost five months in, and out of nowhere, you drop you drop the common ground. <laughs> I didn't even catch it. I said it, and then we went to break, and you looked right at me with this crazed look in your eyes. <laughs> like, what, like, what just do? happened? You're like, common ground, common ground. Yes, I win. <laughs> no, we're tied. We're tied. But holy cow, man! You, I'll own it. I'll totally own it. All right. So this section, the section, the segment. Boy, oh boy, you need a nest. <laughs> Called Interweb Insanity. It's uh, articles that we've never seen before. They're mm-hmm. faced on our desk. Keith Conrad, our executive producer, selected them for us, along with sound effects that we've not heard. And he just came in to tell us he's particularly proud of these ones. Oh, so uh, here we go. I'm extra terrified. Here we go. Florida <laughs> tree snaps strikes woman during yoga class. Oh, boy. A woman participating in a yoga class in Miami Beach was taken to the hospital after a tree snapped and struck her in Keith. Oh, my God. <laughs> the group was practicing yoga at South Point Park when the incident happened. Part of the class involved tying a tightrope between two trees. At what point, one of the trees snapped and struck the woman in the head. Son of a... That's gonna leave a mark. Oh, <laughs> classic. <laughs> All right, Missouri. Zoo 911 call reporting escaped lion was a hoax. That's good. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. The president of a Missouri zoo said a 911 call reporting a lion had escaped the facility during recent storms was a hoax. Mike Newman, president of Wild Animal Safari in Stratford, said the 911 call reporting a lion on the loose after Tuesday's severe storms was not accurate. I can tell you that someone made a bogus call, Newman told the Springfield News Leader. Webster County Sheriff's Deputy Clerk Tiffany Knight confirmed the department investigated a 911 call about a lion escape. <laughs> to the zoo and determined that it was indeed a hoax. Put him up. Put him up. <laughs> My dad loves doing that line, by the way. When I hear, uh, I see if I'd read that one, the president of the hello, Newman. Oh, uh, okay. All right. That's yeah. good. You should collaborate with the sound drops. Everything is, <laughs> it wasn't about the lion, but there <laughs> that's you. right. Oh, this is what I get to yell out for the first time. Israel. <laughs> 
That's the one you want to yell? It is. I've been, I have I'm so many saying. questions about that. Israeli scientists brew beer with revived ancient yeast. Ooh. Israeli researchers raised a glass Wednesday to celebrate a long brewing project of making beer and mead using yeast extracted from ancient clay vessels, some over 5,000 years old. Archaeologists and microbiologists from the Israel Antiquities Authority and four Israeli universities teamed up to study yeast colonies found in microscopic pores in pottery segments. Fragments. The shards were found at Egyptian, Philistine, and Judean archaeological sites in Israel spanning from 3000 BC to the 4th century. The scientists are touting the brews made from, quote, resurrected yeasts <laughs> as an important step in experimental archaeology, a field that seeks to reconstruct the past in order to better understand the flavor of the ancient world. When Cameron was in Egypt's land. <laughs> I was just talking about that movie earlier. This is all starting to feel real meta. I think we're pastors. We're probably obligated to have resurrected brews, right? Yeah, sounds good. We've got to have at least one. All right. Massachusetts. Massachusetts man says someone broke into his home and cleaned it. (laughs) It was a clean getaway. Oh, you love these because they're so funny. I am happy today. A Massachusetts father came home to find that someone had broken into his house, but nothing was missing. Instead of stealing, the intruder or intruders cleaned the house. Nate Roman, 44, of Marlboro, said that he had returned home with his five-year-old son on May 15th, when the little boy noticed that the back door was open. Oh, gosh, that's scary. Nothing was damaged, nothing was taken, just arranged in a really creepy (laughs) way, Roman told NBC News in a phone interview on Thursday. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. <laughs> Has he smelled bleach and other cleaning solvents? Yeah, man, I'm just too suspicious. The son's like, bedroom was a bag of... This is... This would creep me out. Yeah. All right. He, he, you know what his takeaway he says at the end was? What? Double check that your doors are locked. Wow, that's super wise. Or at least leave out a mop. <laughs> leave out a mop. Illinois. We're ending with Illinois. Selfie school gets grandma and grandpa in social media game. Oh, boy. Millennials made the selfie ubiquitous, but now Graham and Gramps are getting into the game thanks to a selfie school for seniors. Sure, they may be a few years behind the trend, but don't count them out. Residents at the Greenfield of Geneva Retirement Community recently headed out to a selfie studio, Stratford Mall. It's right close to where we live. To help get hip with the kids. We really wanted to bridge the gap between seniors and social media, they said. For nearly two hours, the seniors learned how to shoot selfies with their smartphones while posing in front of colorful and eclectic backdrops. (laughs) It's been fun. I don't do selfies, so I wasn't sure what to expect. They will never be the most prolific selfie creators, but with their sensible shoes and unrehearsed grins, they stand out for their genuine looks. I unfriend you. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> like, what do you what do you think about that? Is like a right, this is where our dollars and energy need to go just to help people take better selfies. Don't you think maybe? Did you know that in 2013, uh, selfie was the word of the year, as designated by Merriam-Webster? Really? In 2013? Isn't that a little strange? Yeah. Like, as a culture, like, hey, this word is so important. We need to make this the, the word of the year. I think what I might find a little more interesting in that is that there's a word of the year. <laughs> like, how do they decide on the word of the year? Oh, the same way they decide whether or not to take down George Washington monuments. <laughs> how about that? Maybe our most heated segment what would to be, date. What would be your word of the year this year? Probably ubiquitous. You just I love that word. 
ubiquitous. Okay. <laughs> I don't have one. You don't have. You asked me the question. Nope. Do you, so how do we think Keith did on these today? Oh, they're not nearly as dark as I thought. Whenever you, he came in with a smirk saying, I feel particularly proud of these. I thought there was going to be all sorts of carnage. When it started with the tree snapping, striking the woman during the yoga class. I thought, I got, we're, I I thought got, we were about to go down I a bad. I thought it was all going downhill from there. I thought we were heading down a bad area there. We should have people send in their stories yes. of their articles. I think that's the way to do it. Well, it's been a fun, exciting, bizarre day as usual here on, on, the on the Common Ground. ground. Yeah. <laughs> on the Common Ground. Touche, sir. Hope you'll join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.